morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. All right, glad to see everybody here today so that you can learn everything that you need to know about how to win the spiritual battle in your life. Amen? All right, so we got all the information for you here this morning, and uh, so here we go. Over the last few weeks, few months, we've been talking about the book of the letter of Paul to the people at Ephesus, and uh, man, we've learned so many things from this letter. I mean, that whole letter is so filled with spiritual insight, all these things that he's taught. You know, I'll, I'll go through them a little bit here this morning. Just, but, but the whole purpose in all that he taught, there's three chapters that are just oriented to teaching um, spiritual truth. Who is Jesus? What has he done? Who am I? What does it mean to be in Christ? What are the benefits of being in Christ? What is my position? What is my spiritual position in the world? Am I just some lowly peon that's kind of, you know, somehow having to endure the slings and arrows of injustice and oppression as I pass through this world? No. I am seated together with Christ in heavenly places. I am above all darkness, all powers of darkness. In other words, that's any believer and all believers. We are raised together to sit together with Christ in the heavenly places. I mean, that's a good seat. That's the best seat in the house. And we're seated there together with Christ. And going on into the future, nothing is going to happen to him that doesn't happen to me too. Because I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ, which means that I'm whatever... Um, inheritance is yet awaiting him, I'm a sharer in that. You're a sharer in that. What a future. What an incredible future. So we've gone through all of this, uh, this information in the book of Ephesians. And remember, I gave you three words that if you remember these three words, you remember the book. And then you got the basis for really being able to kind of gather the whole book together in your mind. The first one was set. Very good. Who said that? Was that you, Lois? No. Sandy. Way to go. All right. Sit. What does that mean? That means I need to know my position in this thing. What is my position? I'm seated together with Christ in heavenly places. He has been raised together to be seated in heavenly places far above all principality and power and darkness and chaos and all of the mayhem and crazy, spiritual craziness that is everywhere at the moment in our world. I'm above all that stuff now. God, God, Jesus has been raised to be seated above all that, and you and I also remember what it said in chapter 2, but God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved and raised us up together to be seated with him that in the ages to come he might show us the exceeding richness of his grace expressed to us in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's like, that's the future for all of us. That is the future for anyone who is a believer, that God has taken us even though we were dead. He has raised us up. We're seated now with Christ. Sit is the first word you need to remember. Then, what's that? No. 
I take it back. Here, give my give it. <laughs> Sit, walk, right? I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling with, with which you have been called, with all lowliness and with all long suffering, right? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of peace. Um, in the bond of fellowship. And, and he goes into this whole thing about what does it mean to walk worthy? If I've been handed this massive privilege to be one of God's eternal children, to be eternally part of this great, glorious, incredible plan, which right now is in the battle phase, but shortly will come into the rest phase, and we will just simply inhabit the universe, and like I said, whatever he's going to be doing, we're going to be doing that together with him. It's going to be a blessing. It's going to be massive. So, first, I'm to be seated. Second, I am to walk. Walk where? Of course, walk speaks of your lifestyle, your life, what's you know how how you live things out. He says, walk, walk worthy, walk in love, walk in light, walk in purity, walk in unity, walk in fellowship. In other words, he's talking to us, and he's saying. Look, live, live a lifestyle that is a, a community together of people who are bound together for the purpose of honoring the Lord. That's who we are and why we're here. We are drawn together if we understand that Jesus is the one that builds the church. I'd like to go out and kind of you know, put on an application. I've told people our, our church is, you know, salvation by appointment only. You know, we can't just be having these people walking off the street, low-life sinners, and they get saved and become part of the church. No way. Well, that's the way it is, right? Jesus is building the church. That's why Scott is here this morning. All right. Good. Good to see you there, bro. Because Jesus is building his church, and the church that Jesus builds, the gates of hell will not prevail against. And that's our job, to go and kick down the gates of hell so that the captives can be released, so people can join in this fellowship. So we are first to sit, then we are to walk. Finally, we are to, and this is what brings us to chapter 6, we are to stand, yes, Dennis, Josiah, yes. We are to stand. Having done all to do, I'll take, yeah. sure, why not, man? We can do that. Pow, all right. Good. Yeah, that was powerful. Anyway, sit, walk, and stand. We are to, having done all to stand, stand therefore. And he goes on to talk about the whole armor of God. And, and what that means is, it is not so much that you need to be in the position of a spiritual aggressor, taking on the devil. You don't have to take on the devil. The devil's already been taken on. The devil's already been taken out. Okay? So there, it, it isn't a battle in which I've got to get all fired up and I've got to go take on the devil and I've got to go right every wrong and I've got to correct every evil and I've got to solve every problem. No. I just have to go forward with God's plan for my life. And if I'm actually invested in that, I'm going to get some noise from the other guy. If anybody who chooses to live godly is going to suffer some opposition and some oppression and some persecution, it just comes with the, with the territory. But what we are told that we must do is at that time, when the pressure comes down, when the heat is on, then we are simply to stand with the armor of God on. We don't need any bluster. We don't, no shouting, no screaming, no, you know, all of that. It's not necessary. 
We are just simply to stand, and in due season, <clears throat> the devil will flee. Remember the verse I, I told you last week from uh, the book of James where he says, I, I had wrongly interpreted it as a lost person, resist the devil and he will flee from me. And I said, I've resisted the devil tons of times. He never flees from me. That has never happened. Problem being, I didn't know the previous verse. Just shows context. How important is context, right? The previous verse says, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That'd be a good That'd be a good. Um, actually, that whole thing is prefaced by saying, but he gives more grace. How many would like to have more grace in your life? Okay, right? More of the favor of God working in our life. This is what this is all about, the favor of God being manifested or expressed. By grace you are saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we've got those three words to help us to kind of have the, oh, we lost our page here. Okay, so what we're going to be talking about here today, and what we have been talking about for a little while, is put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. What does this mean? How do we do this? What is it for? How does it work? Okay, and let's get into chapter, oh, first let me get up. Whoa. Okay, chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, Paul writing to the people of Ephesus, and he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. And I believe that is a, a passive voice verb, meaning be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might, meaning that the subject, the passive voice, the subject is the receiver of the action, not the doer. So the subject, me being me, I am to be strengthened. Okay, I, the the action of strengthening is to be to be happening to me because the Lord is eager to impart His strength to me because I can't do this thing on my own. But in Him, see, I can't do this without Him, but I can definitely do it with Him. That's the that that's there's there's just. There is a confidence in saying that. I can't do it on my own. A lot of us will quit right there. I can't do it on my own. You know, and we understand this requires <clears throat> God's. But, I, there, but I, I cannot fail to do it if Christ is in me. Right? If I am filled with his spirit and under the direction of his spirit, I cannot fail to be spiritually successful and spiritually victorious. All I have to do is show up. That is really the truth. All I have to do is show up in the Lord, having on the armor of God, and I'm ready to go. <clears throat> so, finally, be strengthened or be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, I've been a believer for pushing 
44 years at this point, but I have never seen the world in the condition that it is right now. And the darkness, you know, like that that verse um, from Isaiah 61, he says, behold, darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord will arise upon you. He says, arise, shine, for your light has come. Behold, darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness the people. That's that's where it is right now. Okay, when we live in, in the kind of a time, all right, when men can say that they're women and women can say that they're men, and everybody has to agree to that and say, this is, a, this is a wonderful thing. That's gross darkness covering the people. That's, that's raw, flat-out falsehood. And it can't be embraced. It can't even be tolerated. I, I have felt such motivation, and I, I, hope to, I would love to be able to impart that to you, because I think the only way that anything's going to change, see, if we get the mindset, I'll, I'll, I'll put up in a little while if we actually get there, that the principle of spiritual warfare is that everything that's happening in the natural, tangible, visible world ultimately has a spiritual and invisible source, Okay? So what's happening in our world right now is not just because of, let's just say, (coughs) people who define themselves as um, progressives or liberals or whatever else, whatever other terminology. Um, There is a spirit behind all of this that is working. There is a spirit of error, a spirit of falsehood. We have been living in a world that for the last 60 years says there is no such thing as absolute truth. You know what you say to somebody who tells you that there's no such thing as absolute truth? You say, is that true? Right, the whole thing completely falls apart all the time. But people have been trying to push that in order to take God's truth out of the picture. We are living in a how many years? 60, 80 year um, bombardment in order to devastate the entire idea of biblical sexuality, of sexuality the way God created it to be. That's not to demean people who have, other, have sexual issues that are going on in their life, same-sex issues and things like that. It is not to condemn or what have you. But God made sex for a certain purpose, and it works. <laughs> it works the way he made it, and it doesn't work. It's just like in plumbing. How many ever have ever done any plumbing? Okay, well, if you've, if you've done some plumbing, if you have to fix some of your plumbing work and you try to put two female parts together, like it just doesn't work very well, you know, or, or two male parts together, you have, it would take so much more work to actually make that work that it, because it doesn't work. And, I, and I, I'm not saying that to, just to be a, you know, a, a callous or to be callous or crass towards people who are struggling with particular sexual issues. But God has made sex for a certain purpose, within a certain context, with a certain outcome in mind. And when we, when we try to somehow rewrite everything about what God has done, we don't break the laws of God, we just break ourselves. That's all that happens. And that's what's happening to us as a culture. And then we go further and further into craziness and insanity and stupidity, which is why we can actually come where, wherever it is we are on this crazy train that, ha- that we've been riding for the last 60 or 70 years, right, in terms of 
the attack on biblical sexuality, right? Started back in the late 50s and 60s with Playboy and Penthouse and pornography of all kinds. And then pornography is rampant everywhere in our world today. Pornography is gigantic. It's a huge issue for most of us as men. It's something that we're constantly having to deal with and, and make sure that we are not falling prey to and giving ourselves over to because it is so strong and so appealing and so available. And, it, and, the, and I'm really going off on this thing this morning. But, it, but this is really important. It has been a massive attack to break down everything that God has created for good and then to twist it and turn it and destroy it and trash it until it is unrecognizable anymore. And that's what you got going on right now. When you have people, again, when you have a person, person who is actually male and they're saying now that they're female and they can participate in... That's gross darkness. That's, that's all I'm saying. That, that, is, that is rank, naked falsehood. It couldn't be more false, you know. It's like, who are you going to believe, me or your own lying eyes, right? It's, it falls into that category, right? So with all these things, this is the world that we're living in right now. And the most important thing that God needs us to do, because, you know, again, if, when we, if we get to that this morning, I wasn't real, real happy with the way my message kind of fell together, so I'm just kind of going to wing it a little bit this morning, see where it goes. But is that right? <clears throat> Uncle Bob, we good? All right, but the, when we the, the the principle of spirituality again is that everything that's going on down here has its origin out there in the heavenly places, and that's what that Paul has taken uh, so much time in this book to present to us that it's the heavenly places that are directing the blessings are in the heavenly places. Jesus is in the heavenly places. I live in the heavenly places, and those spiritual forces of wickedness they're also in the heavenly places. It's all going on up there, but it's trickling down and manifesting itself down here, and it is taking us further and further and further into places of darkness unless we are walking in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, so as we jump into this message here this morning, we've been tracking with, with Paul because he's brought his readers through uh, an entire, wow, college crash course for spiritual, tru spiritual truth in three chapters, who they are in Christ, redeemed, washed, saved, uh, cleansed by the blood, forgiven, known by God um, in God's pur purpose, program, and plan before the foundation of the world, and uh, all these different things we have learned. But all that stuff was for one thing, to prepare them to actually be able to get in the game. Because that's what this is for. This is not meant to be philosophical. It's not meant to be just something that I know, because knowledge will puff up, as we were saying the other night in the men's Bible study. Knowledge puffs up. It's love. This is not meant to hit my head, or it is, it is meant to hit my head, but it's meant to go rapidly down into my heart. And when it hits my heart and touches my heart and changes my heart, then it's accomplishing the work that God wants it to accomplish in this world. So, so he's brought them through all the spiritual truth, but it is all for this purpose, to get them to the place where they are ready to engage in spiritual battle. Are you ready for that? I didn't think so. Are you ready for that? Well, let me tell you something. You better get ready for that because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and you're on his lunch list. 
Okay, so he's, he's totally engaged and is very, very eager to make sure that you are never spiritually fruitful at all. He's very eager that you will walk around discouraged, demoralized, frustrated, angry, fearful, oppressed. All of these things, these are the constant things that he wants to just, confused, okay? These are all the tools of the adversary to simply try to sideline us. What God wants to do is clear the vision, help us to see what the nature of the, of the battle is down here, get on board, and then see how he's going to plug you in and use you. And then once God plugs you in, and that is his purpose, to plug you in. And that doesn't mean you're going to become a pastor. That doesn't mean you're going to become an evangelist or you're going to become a missionary. Not at all. That means you're going to be you in your world representing Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, and you as a citizen of the household of God, a member of the family of God, like positioned within your little world as God has uniquely positioned you. Because God has put you wherever, wherever you are, you are there by the design, plan, and purpose of God. So many times in life we walk around the world and say, oh, I, w- I wish I was somebody else. I wish I looked like somebody else. I wish I lived somewhere else. I wish I lived in a different time in history. You don't. And you never will. You live here. And you live now, and you are equipped to be able to be um, successful, a successful spiritual warrior. You are being equipped to be successful in your spiritual battles in this world, right now in the world in which you and I live. Amen. Thank you, Arlene. I appreciate that. So, that's what Paul is preparing them for. Now, um, as we get to chapter 6... Paul gives some final instructions to prepare them for the challenge that is shortly going to come and the challenge that God has called them into. Paul ties it all together in the language in chapter 6, and he employs one of his favorite metaphors for spirituality. It's the military metaphor. It's the warfare metaphor. He's used it many, many times in his letters. Here are just a couple of examples just to kind of Get us, make, make us aware of that. But notice how, how often Paul refers to this. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. Okay? So he, here's, that he, he even takes it a little further in the same letter, a few chapters later, when he says to him, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Then in the second letter, Paul's second letter to Timothy, he writes this. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You and I have been enlisted. You and I have been conscripted. You, you and I are now members of the army of the Lord. And so, see, we have been brought into this. And so, again, another, uh, another admonition for us to be, to have a soldier mindset. Hunker down, be strong, re- ready to face the enemy, and win. <clears throat> then we go on to uh, 2 Timothy, <clears throat> a couple more of these to look at. He says, <clears throat> I have fought the good faith. I have finished the race. 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is Paul commenting at the at nearly at the end of his life, writing back to Timothy, <coughs> and he identifies. Excuse me, <coughs> sorry. He identifies the fact that he has fought the good fight. And then here's here's probably the most outstanding one in First uh, Corinthians chapter ten, where he says, "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty." Through God to the pulling down strong for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, I just want you to like focus on that for a second. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, because that's kind of what we're hearing also in this sixth chapter of Ephesians that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our fight is not with people. That's the idea. Although it sure seems like it sometimes. And sometimes when we get this idea in our head, so when, when we have an idea that falls below what I was saying before, that I have to attend to the fact that the battle is up here, and I have to address it up here. Um, when we fail to see the reality of that spiritual vision and we then get refocused on the natural vision, we make gigantic mistakes. For instance, it would be so easy and so many people are thinking that if we just have a red wave in November, everything's going to get okay. Boy, is that wrong. That is utterly wrong. Now, that's not to say that I wouldn't love to see a red wave and I'm, I'm expecting it and I'll be happy. But I will not assume that that is going to be the answer to the course of that darkness has been following. Because it isn't going to be solved by a political party, because a political party is playing down here. And we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Joe Biden is not my enemy. Nancy Pelosi is not my enemy. I don't like them very much. <laughs> but... Okay, they are not. Now, that's the easy thing, isn't it? I mean, you, you probably sit there in front of your television set, and you've got Fox News on, and you're watching, and, and along comes Nancy, and you just want to grow with you. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely, right? And, and, and you know, like they, all, these, all these people are put up there, and you just one after another, different people, and you just you loathe and have contempt, Right? But you know what? we gotta, we got to get past that because we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I wish they were. Or if we'd say maybe just for a little while we could pick up some big sticks or some shovels or something and go attack the other guys and beat them up for a little while. But all that would do is make the devil happy because it would recycle and, 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 and um, enhance, augment, the anger, and, and it would put people against people, and the devil would go like, this is exactly what I was hoping for, okay? And what we have to realize is, uh-uh, somebody up there, now again, notice what he said, the weapons of our, of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What does that mean? That would be a good thing just to take a moment on, the pulling down of strongholds. What's he talking about strongholds? Well, he's talking about ideas that are fixed in our minds. Those are strongholds. And they are, but they are, they are not um, in accord with the word of God. For instance, someone may have told you somewhere online, you're never going to make any, you're never going to be anything. You're a loser. Okay, and somehow that gets 
in your head. A lot of people are negatively affected by things that people say to them and say about them, right? And so that kind of thing is, is something that I think of myself. I'm a loser. I'm a loser. But God doesn't say I'm a loser. Somebody in this world may have said that I'm a loser, but God doesn't say that at all. God says that I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So I'm not a loser. I'm anything but a loser. I actually have the golden ticket because I'm with Jesus. But anyway, to the pulling down of strongholds, strongholds are things that we think that are not true, things that we think that are not in accordance with the word of God. I'm so depressed. Everything is so hopeless. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm so fearful. Okay, all of those can become powerful strongholds. The Bible even tells us here in this same book, in the book of uh, Ephesians, where he says, do not give place to the devil. Give n- and when he uses the word place, it's a, this word, Greek word, topos. It means jurisdictional territory. Everybody has jurisdictional territory. In other words, you have your space. God gave you that space. God put you in that space. That space that you occupy, that, that, um, those surroundings that you occupy, those people that are in your life, that situation that you find yourself in, those things are all directed and purposed by God to make you a useful participant in the spiritual battle right where you are, to bloom exactly where you are planted. But we can, but the devil will like to come in and sow something different in your mind, make you think something different about you than what God has to say about you. I can't be happy unless I, you know, unless I have a woman in my life or unless I have a man in my life. People, people live under that, like the, and and so they're never happy because no human being really has the capability of making you a happy, fulfilled, and satisfied person. No human being can do that. That only comes from God. So the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. The pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You see, the knowledge, the true knowledge of the true God and who he truly is will get in and cleanse all that stuff. It will just blow all the cobwebs off of that, and it will give you a clear, sharp, bright, hungry mind. I guess there's not too many of those. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> but the, the word of God will, will sharpen and clarify your whole perspective on truth. That's where we hope to get to here this morning. Anyway, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought in obedience to Christ. As I was talking about this this week, and somebody that I know that has really been through serious, serious uh, spiritual battles. You know, serious, serious spiritual battles are things that come along. There are hurts that that like become bitter things that fester in your life. There are wounds that came from somebody somewhere along the way that hurts you, and you can't seem to just kind of get it out of your mind. So the tape goes on and plays again and again, and you find yourself being sucked into it and caught into all of the, emo- all of the emotional craziness that's associated with, with whatever hurt came along or, or, or came your way. And so um, <clears throat> with all of this, he is basically saying, um, 
it pulls down imaginations and, and brings every thought into the obedience to Christ. So these are all these various different statements that, that bring us back into this war metaphor or this battle military metaphor. And then... Oh, sorry, kiddies. Okay, so it is, um, no, here, that was what I was uh, leading towards before. The basic principle for spiritual victory. Everything we see in the visible natural realm is controlled by events in the supernatural, invisible um, realm. Now, this idea of conflict or warfare or battle has been like written into the pages, into the very fabric of Scripture from the very beginning. If, like the, there, there is a, a battle going on that Scripture makes us aware of that has been going on between God and his adversary and has been going on really since the beginning of creation. It's a series of moves and counter moves, and it's helpful for us to see like the way this thing has played back and forth and how this, how this thing has worked. Throughout the Old Testament, God makes the first move. God creates this celestial realm, this beautiful celestial, harmonious celestial realm of angelic beings. Okay, he says to um, Job in chapter 38, when Job is kind of bummed and depressed and discouraged, but trusting God and trying to hang in there. And then he's been asking, when am I going to get a chance to talk with God? When am I going to see God? If I could just have an audience with God, I think we could get this thing straightened out. And he's just utterly forlorn. Besides that, his body is like completely shot from all the stuff that he's been through. And he's begging to see God. And finally, chapter 38, God shows up. And he comes over and he puts his arm around Job. And he says, oh, Job, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. Not, right? He says, stand up like a man. I got a couple questions for you. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you when I established its pillars? Where were you when I put the stars into the heavens and all the morning stars shouted, the, meaning all of the angels of the heavenly hosts shouted for joy. See, the first thing that God made was this, this group of heavenly beings. And at the very top of that whole hierarchy of heavenly beings was Lucifer. But Lucifer got confused. He wasn't sure whether he was God or whether God was God because he and God were identical. Because it says in Ezekiel 28, you were made perfect, perfect in wisdom and in beauty. Right? Perfect in wisdom and beauty, that's like God, right? Until the day that iniquity was found in you. No being can be as perfect as God, obviously, because every being is a created being and God is an uncreated being. But the idea simply being that... Um, he, Lucifer was at the top of this whole stack, but he rebelled. Isaiah chapter 14, we read the same basic story where it says, How are you fallen, O Lucifer, son of the morning? For you said in your heart, I will send my throne to the sides of the north. I will be like the most high. So something, something went wrong. Something, something um, unraveled inside this most advantaged 
being that God ever created. And so there was a fall, and that's what basically started this whole thing. And it has been a series of moves and counter moves. So the first move, God creates this angelic room. First counter move on Satan's part. Satan um, rebels and draws away one-third of the angels with him. And then God counters by making man in his own image, in his own likeness, something that Satan did not like. He, but he made him a little lower than the angels, but has crowned him with glory and honor. But Satan rebelled against this with a move or by, by, by instigating a move against or tempting Adam and Eve um, to sin, which then turned the earth completely over to demonic control. But God countered by providing a redemptive covering for Adam and Eve. An animal was slain. They had a covering to cover their nakedness so they could return to have fellowship with him. But, of course, Satan tried to counter that by getting Cain to kill Abel. We say, well, what, what's the big deal with that? Well, Abel was the godly line. Abel was the godly son. Abel was the son that had God in his heart and wanted to please God. When it came time for them to do a sacrifice, Abel got his best because he wanted to please the father. Cain, he just put any old thing together. It really wasn't a big deal for him. He, would, uh, he, he was placating God, okay? So then Cain rises up and kills Abel, and it is as if, okay, I'll strangle this thing in its cradle right here. I'll kill the guy that is going to carry the torch. And so he takes Cain out, but God countered that through the birth of Seth. So then Seth comes along. And Scripture says, and then men began to call upon the name of the Lord again. So it has been, again, this back and forth um, battle between God and Satan. Satan tried to counter that um, through the birth of Nimrod, um, through building this, uh, and uh, Nimrod builds the civilizations of Assyria and Babylon. He, he, he orchestrates the tower, the building of the Tower of Babel. And the purpose is to build a civilization and a religion in defiance of God. That's what, Genesis, that's what Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel story is all about. But God countered with a move to Ur of the Chaldees. And he goes to Ur of the Chaldees, which is kind of like modern-day Iraq. And there he finds the guy who's going to change the picture. He finds Abraham. And he calls Abraham. And Abraham believes him. And it, and it becomes a, a, a pronouncement of righteousness on, on his part. And so through Abraham, God begins to establish a nation, Israel, as his own special people, a special people who would be obedient, uniquely obedient, his own special people. That's what God does. However, Satan countered that move by getting those people who were God's own special people to go down into Egypt, which for the beginning was a really good thing, but then, of course, he raises up another pharaoh who doesn't know Joseph, doesn't know anything about that, and they wind up, they wind up for two in two. They wind up in 250 years of slavery. However, God countered again by calling Moses, told him to go to Pharaoh with the message, let my people go. All right, we could go on and on and on with this, but you get the idea. This is back and forth. I think, however, the greatest manifestation that I can think of or the, or the greatest metaphor or analogy in the Old Testament for the spiritual battle that we are called into is the whole story of the Exodus. And how God called the people. They were slaves in Egypt. You and I were slaves in this world. All right? We weren't free people. We might think so, but we're we are slaves to disobedience and slaves to sin and slaves to error. 
okay? Because we just don't know without the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We just don't know without the word of God anything about what's really going on down here, which is like Ephesians chapter 2 where he says, and you, you followed the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now rules and those who are disobedient, and were by nature children of wrath. So essentially, this whole world is being lorded over by a wicked tyrant. Everybody's caught up in the whole thing. And, uh, and, and so the, the, the picture of what happened to the people in the land of Egypt is exactly typical to what hap- has happened in our lives. They were slaves. They were bound. It was terrible. They were miserable. Problems everywhere. God raises up Moses. Moses comes in, says to Pharaoh, hey, you're going to let these people go. And Pharaoh says, I'll think about that. But he doesn't. He doesn't. And, and, and again and again. But finally, the angel of Death comes along, and the people are released, and they go out into the wilderness, and it is all right. It was, I'm, I'm told, I don't, never walked it myself, but I'm told it's 11 days to get from Egypt to crossing the Jordan somewhere around Jericho. Okay, you can walk it in 11 days, but it took them 40 years. But it took them 40 years because, this is so important, they refused to believe God. They refused to believe that the God who got them out of the mess could get them into the promise, right? That's the whole thing. And that's, I feel like that that lays the foundation for this whole thing. Like, why do you want to get involved in the spiritual battle? Because God has promises for you to be spiritually fruitful in this world and that the fruit that you garner and the, and the victories that God accomplishes um, within you and, and through you with other people, those things are eternal. They are going to be victories and trophies that are never going to go away. In this world, you work and you work and you serve and you strive just to get a couple of decent little things and a nicer car, a nicer house, what have you, and it's all going to perish. It's all going to burn. It's all going to be gone. None of it is going to last. But all treasures up there will last forever. So then... Um, we, we ourselves were like the people of Egypt, like the slave, the, 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 the um, Israelite slaves, and then released. And the most important thing that we need to do is trust and believe God. Amen. Amen. Trust and believe God's word. Every time that the devil wants to come in and work on you, the, probably the first thing that he will, in great subtlety, get you to think is, has God really said? Is that what God really said? God didn't really say. That's not, that's not what he really meant. He really meant something else. You know what I mean? It is always the challenge to the word of God. That is the way the adversary works. He works to basically remove confidence that what God has said, he is capable of accomplishing. So God got them out of the land of Egypt, but they wandered in 40 years. And it, it is possible as a believer that you could wander for 40 years without being fruitful, just kind of meandering, or you can go 11 days straight on in over the Jordan, and you can start winning some battles. When you, and, and what kind of battles am I talking about? How many of you have unsafe people in your family? Okay. You praying for them all the time? You see, those unsafe people, like they're not going to get saved unless somebody is interceding for them, unless someone is, is seeking God on behalf of those people. And so a part of our job is to pray for the people in our families and our homes because if they don't go to heaven, there's not too many other alternatives here. So there, the, those people that you and I love, 
They're going to spend eternity somewhere. And so there's a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual issue. There's spiritual, there's spiritual ground to be taken there. And it's essential and it's necessary for us to be involved, active, engaged. All right. Okay. Where does this, where does it go? So anyway, what they needed, let me just, let me just kind of thumbnail this and we'll come back to it at some point. But the two, the only two things that you need to be spiritually victorious are one, faith in God. Okay? Faith in what God has said. Believing what God has said more than the, um, uh, how, how did he phrase that? Um, strongholds, imaginations, um, things, things that we think, right? Things that are in our own head that we, tend, that we tend to think are priority truth, right? The first thing that we have to do is believe what God has said. That's the starting point. And the second point is you have to be willing to fight. The Israelites were going to get the land. God said, I'm going to give you the land, but you're going to have to get in there and fight for it. You're not just going to walk in there all going to lay down, drop dead, and you walk in. You're going to have to go in there and fight for it. And that is exactly what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 6. If you want spiritual fruit, if you want spiritual victory, you're going to have to get zealous for it and fight for it. If you want to see spiritual um, conquer, conquering or spiritual victories around in your life, you're going to have to get zealous for them. You have to be willing to fight for them. But whatever we're willing to fight for, I'm persuaded that God is willing to give to us. So, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. So, they, they, they essentially needed six things, all right? And, and we will not be able to break them all down. I don't know if we really need to. The first thing they needed, he says, you better put on that belt of truth, okay? What does that mean? What, what he's saying is that truth is so essential. God is all about truth. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says, uh, when he's praying for his disciples, and he says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Truth is what we read in Scripture. Forever, O Lord, your, your word is established or settled in the heavens. And so we have eternal truth at our, at our disposal all of the time. But there's even a deeper concept there. But the, the, the concept of we cannot live in falsehood. In any, uh, uh, like, that's really what, that, that's what the essential is. Th- uh, think of this. Think of you're, you're a businessman or you're a person who's starting a business. And you have determined that, you, that your goal is to make as much money as you possibly can. And so you figure, I can make the most money that I possibly can by kind of scamming everybody. And cheating everybody's. I'll jack up the prices on everybody. I'll overcharge them for stuff that I buy. All this kind of stuff, right? You'll be out of business shortly. Because you cannot build a business on cheating people. You can't be successful in this world when you build on falsehood. If you, if you are a married person, you can't build a marriage on falsehood. You can't be false to your spouse. You can't be duplicitous to your spouse. You have to be true. 
to the whole situation. Because wherever there is, where there, where, Satan is the master of this whole realm of deception. He's all over everything that is, not, that is a distortion or that is somehow a twisted version of what it was supposed to be. So that is his whole gig. And so you and I have to scrutinize and challenge and look at our lives all the time and ask ourselves and say, am I really living in truth? Or am I just a hypocrite? Am I just a poser? Am I just a pretender? That is the ultimate question for every believer to ask because that's what he's getting at. Put on the belt of truth. Get rid of all pretense. Get rid of all, how does Paul phrase that? He says, we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty and the shameful things of lust and have walked and, and we actually conduct ourselves in a way that we commend ourselves to every other man's conscience. That's intense. In other words, he's saying, if it bothers you, I'll straighten it out. If, what, if the way I'm living my life is, is a problem for you, I'll change. Which is why he said, I can be all things to all people so that by all means I can save some. Because I, I, what I'm interested in is just simply being the guy that God needs me to be in the setting that he has me in right now. Oh, we're going to have to wrap this up. Belt of truth. Breastplate of righteousness. What, right, what, is, right, what is that all about? Well, righteousness is an intention. It, it's, it's deeper than just an action. Yeah, their actions can be righteous or unrighteous. That's true enough. But real righteousness is much, much deeper in the intentional part of our life. It wants what is right. It wants. It longs for what is good and right. That's what righteousness is. That's why when, in the word Jesus says, you guys are judging after the external vision of your eyes. Judge righteous judgment. What does he mean? I always, always thought that was such an interesting phrase. And what he's saying is, see, Jesus can judge me because he's given his life for me. He has loved me so much that he laid everything down for my well-being. That's why I know I can trust him, and that's why he has complete freedom to be able to judge my life because he was willing to give his life for mine. Okay, if I'm judging a person, but I'm not willing to give my life for them, if I don't want what's best for them, I just want to see them there. You know what I mean? Like, if, if that's my motivation for calling the card on another person, good, I can't wait to see them get theirs. That's, that's unrighteous judgment. It, it cannot be in our hearts. It's a contamination of our, of our spirit, right? So this whole idea of righteousness, it is having a heart that always wants the best. If we could understand, if we could, if we could know more clearly who God is, we would know that God, in the heart of God, is always the best of all things at all times. Jesus could say, "Seek first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all the other stuff will be added to you." Think of that. For there are so many righteousness verses to be to go on. When, when He says, "Seek the kingdom of God." Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let me rephrase that in, in, the, content, in the language that I'm using. Seek first the kingdom of God and his right intentions. Okay? If, if, and to me that means if you're looking for the route out of your mess, if your life is a mess right now, if you're looking for the route out, well, God is the one who has that in mind for you. And if you seek him, the, the, God is the one person that you really can trust. His ways are pure. His intentions are right. His motives are good. Everything about God is completely for you. And so the way out of the mess is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. So how far did we get here this morning? Well, we talked about the belt of truth. It's getting us 
somewhere, the breastplate of righteousness protects your vitals, okay? Your, all of your vital organs with the breastplate of righteousness. We got to go. Let's pray.